0: Well, it is good to worship with you today. I am really, really glad to see you because I know that every school system in Madison County and Central Indiana, Hamilton County, everybody's on fall break, and you showed up here. I am so glad that you are here today. Uh, Even the universities are on fall break, so to all of you who are watching online, or I don't know if you're in Florida and you come in out of the beach and you watch it on demand tonight, uh, welcome. We're glad that you're here with us too. But I'm really glad to have all of you who are here with us on campus today. We're in a series called Build Your Life. Now, the premise of this series is that um, in the letter that the Apostle Paul sent to some people in a place called Philippi in the first century. He laid out for them the the opportunity to grow and build a life that would be holistic. And we planned this series several months ago to dovetail into our plant uh, emphasis for our plant journals, our our, uh, daily devotional things that many of you, uh, dozens of you, uh, have already purchased and you're a part of. But when we planned the series, it was months ago. And we've done this for decades, to be real honest with you as a church, where as a team, we plan what we believe God is leading us to do in the next season in the life of the church. And one of the things that never ceases to amaze me is that when we do that and we lay out week by week what it is from God's word that we wanna share with the congregation and for us as the people of God, life and the world shifts And things happen and God places us at exactly the right place at exactly the right time. For instance, today we're supposed to talk about peace. And it was last Sunday here at the church when someone came to me between the services and said, Pastor, did you hear what happened in Israel yesterday? Did you hear about the terrorist attacks of Hamas and Hezbollah? Those are not new terms to us. For years, as a church, we have partnered with Camille Melki and Heart for Lebanon in Beirut and in the country of Lebanon, particularly in the Bekaa Valley. And you'll hear a little bit more about them later on, but, but for those of you who are new to us, Camille and his wife Hoda, they were a part of our congregation while they were here in the United States studying at Anderson University. And then we have partnered with them now for over 25 years as God birthed this ministry called Heart for Lebanon, which has one of the largest Syrian refugee ministries in the world, and which makes a difference in the lives of refugees in the Bakah Valley. And so I began to think, okay, how, how, how far is, how far is the Gaza Strip from the Bakah Valley? <laughs> What's the difference in distance between where the bombs are exploding and where my friends are? And for some of you who have children in the military, I've already, I've already had conversations today with members of our congregation who, whose children and grandchildren are headed into harm's way. And so we're living in a time of violence and terrorism and war. And I get people who ask me questions like this. Like, Pastor, how can one human being take another human being's life? Uh, pastor, how, 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 how in the world mentally can, can someone behead a, a child? How in the world mentally can, can someone take a child's arm or, a, or an adult's limb? and how, how can they be that? How, how do you do that? How can any human being get to that place? And my friends, the answer to the question is is not one that you're going to like, because it's one that is, that's actually something that could happen to every one of us if we're not careful. Because you see, in order to, to, to do those horrific, terrible things to another human being, you have to come to the place in your mind where that person's not a human being. They're not a person. They're an object. They're a thing. And, and, and so you become so wrapped up in what you believe to be your truth, and, and that other person is no longer a human being. You have to totally forget the reality of what the Scripture teaches us, that all of us were made in the image of God. And that the Spirit of God was breathed into all of us, that we have life because we are all God's children, regardless of our race, regardless of our ethnicity, and even, as hard as it is to understand, regardless of our ideology. So when we begin to dehumanize a person and move them in our mind from being a person to being an object, we're on the path that leads to the kind of terrorism that you see in the world right now. And, and it's ironic, or, or maybe, maybe it's not ironic, maybe it's providential, that 100 years ago this year, in 1923, several years after World War II, a German-Jewish philosopher named Martin Buber wrote a book, he, he presented it as a series of lectures earlier in the year and then about this time of the year, in 1923, they released for publication a book that was simply entitled, I and Thou. And I and Thou is, is simply Buber's way of describing the process of how you, how you come against the dehumanization. Because basically what he's saying is that when we recognize that God created everybody when we recognize that the Genesis story is true and that all of us are are given life by the breath of God in us, then then when I relate to you, I don't relate to you as an I, me, to put it in the vernacular. I don't relate to you as me versus it, but, but I relate to you as me and you. And and, and there's this humanization, this, this understanding that even though we're different, even though we speak different languages, even though we come from different ideologies, we are all created in the image of God. And I am called by God, created by God to relate to you as a person, not as an object. It's this dehumanization that makes sexual trafficking, human trafficking possible in people's minds. A lot of our culture is based on us being able to, to create an us versus them reality. I've told some of you before, I, I grew up in Mississippi and, and we had some old, our own colloquialisms and I've learned over the years that some of those were just unique to, to the guys I ran around with. But the guys I played basketball with, they, they, used, to, they used to refer to the, the entire world was in two categories. All right? I remember I played basketball in Mississippi with a small school. Right? And so everything was usin and them. usin and them. And what I figured out was that if you were a part of us man, everybody had your back. If you, it didn't matter if you were black, white, where you were from, Hispanic, if you spoke English, we even this is Mississippi. We even let Cajuns in usin, all right? People from Louisiana, for those of you up here who don't understand who that is, all right? And, and, and the reality was we, we created a world that was us versus them. And so when you, when you see the news reports and you read about the horrific things or you see the pictures that you don't want to see and you wonder why in the world, you've got to know that that's because Martin Buber was right 100 years ago in looking at the atrocities of the First World War. But the only way one human being can do that to another human being is to make in their own mind a decision, that's not a human being. That's an object. When the Apostle Paul was writing to the church in Philippi and he's trying to tell them what it means to live in a life, to build a life that's built around the hope and the humility and the provision and all the things that he lists of God in your life. He gets to a certain point in this letter, in the fourth chapter, where where he begins to take this this grand theme, (laughs) this large picture of how people get alienated one versus the other, and, and he begins to put it into really practical terms. Because, you see, sometimes when we start, you know, we have people, pray for peace. How do you pray for peace if you believe the other person is not a person? I pray for, for world harmony. How do you pray for harmony when, when you are us and versus them? What Paul says is there is a way to do it. There's a way to take that paradigm of, of I and it and have it converted into a relationship of I and thou. Listen as I read from Philippians chapter 4. I, I'm going to start at verse 1. And I want you to hear what this means, not only for you as an individual, but for us as a world, because the principles are here. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and I long for, you are my joy and my crown. Stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Sintica to agree in the Lord. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. And finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. You see, when Paul's writing to these people that he refers to as his beloved, people he loves, people he's invested in, people, people he's shared life with, he's, he's eaten meals with them, he's been in their homes, they've watched God do miracles. I mean, in, in Philippi, God used Paul to deliver a slave girl from an oppression we talked about a few weeks ago. He used Paul to to share with Lydia and the others outside the city gates about who Jesus was and 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 now this businesswoman who a purple seller who who was now having her entire household come to understand faith in Jesus Christ. It was in Philippi that 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 Paul was was in jail with Silas because of the cultural reaction to what he did to the woman who was possessed by the demon and he set her free and her her owners were not happy with that. They were making money off what she was doing and so they had Paul arrested and then that night, as we've looked at the story in the book of Acts, in that night, in the middle of the night, Paul and Silas, instead of bemoaning their situation, they're singing praises to God. And in the midst of that singing, an earthquake hits and the jail cell flies open. And instead of running for their freedom, they stayed right there because they knew that the jailer was a retired Roman centurion who was committed to have to take his own life if his prisoners escaped. So when that centurion came in, when that Roman jailer came in and he, he looked for a, for a light to see who was there, he heard a voice from the darkness and it's Paul saying, hey, don't harm yourself. We're all here. It was out of that kind of experience that that, that, that man knelt and said to Paul and Silas, hey, listen, I don't know this God you're talking about. I don't know this Jesus, but listen, whatever you've got, I want Whatever's happening in your life, I, I want. These are the people Paul's writing to. And now he's writing to them and he's saying, listen, I understand that there's some, there's some rubbing inside your fellowship. There's some, there's some dissonance inside your music. There, there, there's a sense in which relationships are broken. And, and so, listen, I love you all. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to, I want you to tell these two ladies that they, they both love Jesus. And they can find peace and harmony, help them reconcile with each other. Because you see, if we're going to have peace, it's not just gonna be the absence of conflict. Peace, a life that's built in peace, is the result of relational healing. When we want to build a life of peace, we have to move from this I and it to this I and thou, and we have to do what Paul's telling these people to do. Hey, listen, I want you to come alongside, and I want you to help these two women who've worked with me, who've worked side by side with me to tell people about who Jesus is, and now they're disagreeing. Now they're fighting with each other. Now they're bringing this disharmony into the body of Christ. I need you to walk with them and help them understand that until that relationship is healed, they won't know peace, and you won't know peace. Look again at the way he said it. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Odia and I entreat Synthica to agree in the Lord. In other words, ladies, quit fighting. Yes, I ask you also, true companion. I ask you to help these women. Who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life uh, when i was in the seventh grade i uh, i tried out for the seventh grade basketball team at the middle school elementary junior high that i went to it was in west texas and um i made the team i made the team because the school was so big they had two teams for the seventh grade they also had a couple of other teams for the eighth grade, but they only had one gym. And so we had to have practices as the seventh graders. We got nominated for before-school practice. Eighth graders were bigger and older and more experienced and they got after-school practice. But seventh graders, the two seventh grade teams would practice in the mornings before school in the gym. And the gym was also the location where all the students who were riding the buses, would be dropped off and sit in the bleachers and watch practice. Now, you have to understand, for me, as a little seventh grade kid with a flat top, when everybody else was growing their hair long, as a little seventh grade kid who had just moved into that city several months earlier, I was now in my sixth school in seven grades I didn't know anybody. Basketball was the way I got to know people. I could practice basketball by myself. I could shoot. I could. I, I could learn to dribble. I could. I could. I even had this thing where I had a, a square on the wall, and I'd learn how to pass the ball from different angles and hit the same spot on the square over and over and over again until I wore the ball out because the ball was rubber and the wall was concrete. <laughs> And so I made the team, and and I'm practicing with the team. And now I'm realizing they are that there are girls. Seventh grade's a wonderful place to learn. There are other people besides you in the world, and and now every morning at practice before school, there are all these people. There are all these girls. They this was nice. I you know I'm I'm like this. This I could make friends. This could be good but in typical seventh grade awkwardness because I've never met a seventh grader who wasn't awkward. Sorry, seventh graders, all right? We just, it's that point of life, it's all awkward. I didn't realize that they really weren't paying attention to the little kid with the flat top out on the floor. They were all in their own stuff until one morning during practice when as we're practicing and the coach is teaching us fundamentals and he's showing us all the things you teach seventh grade basketball players, what to do and all of that. And then then suddenly over on the other, where we weren't looking, there was this horrible noise. There was all this just, just I mean, disruption. And I look over and I saw something I had never seen before. I saw two girls fighting now, first of all, I've told you before, I only had brothers. I didn't have sisters. I had no idea girls could fight. And I don't mean like having an argument about this. No, I mean fist bit clenched, teeth bared, people going at each other. There was blood. There was hair. It was awful. And my coach said, wait a minute, boys. And he went over and tried to break it up. Not a smart man. <laughs> he came out of there with a bloody nose. <laughs> Standing there, saying, we're all looking like, oh, man, and everybody, everybody's kind of around. Kids are, you know how kids are. They're yelling, fight, 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 and all of this is going on, and we're going, well, practice is going to be over. That's not going to help anything, you know, and, and then suddenly around the corner came this little old lady teacher. Now, I was in seventh grade. I don't know how old she really was, but to us, she was like 110, all right, <laughs> and, and she had little, she had these little crocheted gloves that she wore every day. She taught English, seventh grade English. And she made us read poetry and all of that kind of stuff. And she came around that the corner and, and she, Coach had just come out with a bloody nose. And Coach, Coach was about 6'3", six, 6'4", six, and this little lady's just really little and she's like you know, everybody's grandma. And, and she turns around and all of a sudden she took her little foot and she went, girls, girls. And those two girls stopped. I mean, they bloodied Coach's nose. She, all, all she had to do was stomp her feet. And, and, and she said, in my classroom right now, you're both on detention. And those girls did it. They just stopped. Uh, we're all like, well, why, why didn't they listen to Coach? Can I tell you what we figured out? They didn't know Coach. He had nothing in their life. But that little English teacher, yeah, she was their homeroom teacher. Their parents knew her. She knew their parents. And they knew they were in a world of hurt because now their teacher was there. See, there are some conflicts we get in that require someone like true companion. When I, when I read that earlier, I, it always tickles me to read that. The way Paul says, look, I entreat you I I, I entreat you to to talk to Euodia, and I entreat you to talk to Seneca. And then he says, and my true companion. See, that that Greek word that's translated true companion actually might be a name. Uh, It could be used as a name. And, And in the first century, people were given names in the hopes that they would grow into that name, that they would live out that name. And so it it strikes me as really beautiful that that the Apostle Paul is saying, look, you got these two ladies. Did you hear what he said about them? They both work side by side with the Apostle Paul to spread the gospel of Jesus. He's not saying, hey, you correct this one and you correct them and don't correct that one. No, he's saying, listen, I entreat you, work with both of them and you, my true companion.'" You come in and you, you be the mediator. You be the one they will listen to. You come into that place. You see, my friends, when we start talking about what it means to build a life of peace, a life of peace where, where relationships are healed, it, it means that somebody's got to be true companion. The healing of relationships means somebody's got to come in and, who has the relational connection to both sides and say, hey, here it is. But as long as everybody is an object, as long as other people are treated as things, as long as we fail to recognize that every person who walks on the face of the earth, regardless of all the differences they have from us, is a child of God, we will never, ever find peace. But if, If we can find the people who are true to Jesus, if we can find the people who can have the relational equity, if you would, with both parties in order for them to let God help them see that these are the people God loves on both sides of the ideology, on both sides of the division. And there's one other thing. It's the last part of this. See, these ladies have labored side by side with Paul in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers, get this, whose names are in the book of life. See, that, that just resonates with me because it's the book of life that is the ultimate goal. It's to be known by God. You see, what, 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 what he's saying is, you know these people by name. You have that relational equity. Relational healing only comes when we see other people as human beings and when we know them by name. And, and in this situation, what he's talking about is, and Jesus knows them by name. Because the book of life, the book of life is the book that, that symbolically Jesus has in heaven with the names of all the people who have ever said to Jesus, hey, forgive me of my sins. Make me a brand new person. Make me a new creation. Make me a follower of Jesus. Every person who's ever bowed a knee and crossed the line of faith to say, I want to follow Jesus, your name is in the book. When I was a kid, the church used to sing a song a song that was written by a fellow named Daniel Sidney Warner. You may not have heard that name, or you may have. Daniel Sidney Warner was this 19th century Midwest Ohio, Indiana, Southern Michigan preacher who, who felt as if God was calling him to say to the church at that time that, that what really needed to matter to the church was not all their ideologies and all their different backgrounds and all their denominational structure, but instead what really mattered to Jesus was Jesus. Jesus being in people's hearts. And what really mattered to God was that brothers and sisters in Christ lived together in a sense of being completely set apart for God, to be holy for God, and therefore to be family in unity together. And Daniel Sidney, we refer to him as D.S. Warner, was the inspiration behind the beginning of a movement that actually, if you're an Anderson University student or alum, that university does not exist without this man's dreams. This church doesn't exist without that man's dreams. We're a part of this global movement, which is why we have people like Camille and Holden Melki and the other side of the world who are our brothers and sisters in Christ. But he wrote a song that the church used to sing, and, and, and I used to hear them sing it as a kid. And I'll be honest with you, there are some things that are just nostalgia, but there are some things that really resonate with meaning. And he wrote a song that the church would sing, and it says, My name is in the book of life. Oh, bless the name of Jesus. And the chorus, the chorus is what I always remember as a kid. The, 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 the ladies in the church would sing, I know, and the men would go, I know i know i know my name is written there i know i know my name is written there you see that knowledge that you've got this connection with god through jesus christ that transcends all of the differences and all of the barriers and all of the divides that because you are, your name is in the book of life. Both of these ladies' names are in the book of life even though they're disagreeing on something. And what what Paul is saying to true companion is, listen, because they, along with Clement and all the fellow workers, because they all have this, this connection to Jesus, then... There can be relational healing, and relational healing builds a life of peace. But listen, that life of peace requires a connection with Jesus that produces reasonableness. You said, "Pastor, what do you mean, reasonableness?" Some of you have Bibles that if you read this passage that I read for you earlier, it will say that produces gentleness. It says, let your gentleness be known to everyone. But, but this phrase that's translated gentleness, sometimes in the English we think of gentle as soft. We think of gentle as like meek, non-assertive. No, that's not the meaning of this word. Uh, the, the meaning of this word is that You are concerned not just with your agenda, but with what is best for everybody. What what, what this word means when Paul's writing to to true companion and the rest of the church in Philippi, he's like, listen, I want you to work with with these two ladies. I want you to bring them back together. I want you to heal this relationship. I want you to help them find a peace that is a result of them being connected to, to, to Jesus when you do, it's going to change everything in your life. And that's when he says these words that some of you memorized. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Let that settle down for a minute. Don't be anxious about anything. Think about all the stuff that you've heard in the last few days that has caused you anxiety. Think, think about the stuff that some people are, are using to kind of leverage their own position to create fear in the hearts of people. I've seen all kinds of things in the last few weeks, but particularly in the last week. What does this mean? How can this Middle Eastern war, is this, does this mean Jesus is coming back immediately? What's going on with it? Listen, Jesus himself said, He doesn't know when he's coming back. The only person who knows is the father, and the father hasn't told the son. And when it happens, the son is just going to come back. It's all about God's choice, y'all. It's not about our human actions making God come back. And it's not about anybody else's political decisions making God come back. It's about the fact that God loves us so much, he has extended his grace and his mercy so that everyone who hears the name of Jesus can have an opportunity to say, I will follow Jesus So quit looking to figure out when Jesus is coming back and just start following him until he does. Because he's the one who came to show you what it means to live a life where he is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. See, let, let your life be reasonable. What, what he's saying is let your life be one that is so concerned with what is good for everyone instead of what is good for you. And when you get to that place, that's the real meekness. That's the real gentleness. That's the reasonableness. You care about what's good for everyone. That's because you're connected to Jesus. That's because relationships are being healed. That's because God is at work teaching all of us how to value each other as children, sons and daughters of God. Not the protectors of an ideology or the promoters of an agenda, but to be the people who call the name of Jesus whose name, our names, are written in the book of life. Because you see, building a life of peace where relationships are healed and where we stay connected to Jesus, it it renews our focus on Jesus. It helps us to see him. That's why Paul says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, I love this passage, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence in the world, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. What, what do you think about when the world's in turmoil? What do you think about when you're in a, a divisive relationship? What, what do you think about when you think about the other person, do you think about what's best for them? Do you think about what's going on in their life? And, and Paul, Paul even stretches it a little further. He says, and, and listen, what you have, what you've learned and what you've received, and what you've heard, and what you've seen in me. Remember, he knew these people. They knew him. Practice what you've seen in my life, and the God of peace will be with you. On Wednesday this week, I, I sat in on a Zoom meeting with Camille Melki. And the topic of the Zoom meeting was What can we do and how can we support? And and Camille, tell us, how is this affecting this war that's going on between Hezbollah and Hamas and the people of Israel? How is that affecting you in Lebanon? Because here's the deal. The distance between Beirut, Lebanon, where Camille is, and the Bacah Valley, where where they serve those Syrian refugees, yes, it's to the north of the Gaza Strip. And yes, the current evacuation routes for the Gaza Strip are to the south. But, but Camille, how can we pray? How can we connect? How can we support you? What's going on? Tell us. And he had the most amazing statement. He said, you know, when you live here in a place where everyone's trying to kill each other, where everybody's so divided by ideology, And where the ideology is all about all about what it means to to die for the glory of God, to die for your ideology, to die for your political position. And and you're all about death. And then we come in as followers of Jesus. Because my friends, remember, Christianity supersedes Islam and Judaism. Christianity for those of us who follow Jesus, if our name is in the book of life, yes, we're called to love everyone, but we are not called to celebrate death. We come to celebrate life. And Camille said to the group that was on the Zoom call, so when we go into the places where people are coming and their houses have been burned out and, and their homes have been destroyed and their villages are gone and their family members have been killed and we walk in And we're not taking one side or the other side and we're not glorying in death and destruction. Instead, we walk in and we say with a smile on our face and love in our heart, this food is made possible because of people who love Jesus these clothes for your family, these books for your children to learn to read, this opportunity for a new life. We celebrate, this is the line, where the world celebrates and glorifies death. As followers of Jesus, we celebrate and glorify life. Eternal life. I'll be honest, I had to just kind of step back a minute. I'm not even sure what happened in the rest of the Zoom call because that thought just grabbed me because I knew I was supposed to talk to you guys today about this passage. And I began to think, what would it look like? What would it look like if the people of Jesus, whose names are in the book of life, if if the people of Jesus, who are supposed to be healers of broken relationships, what would it look like if the people connected to Jesus were the people who actually were known for celebrating life instead of death? What would it look like for us to be the people who bring the healing to the world, who are able to look at the people around us and say, hey, listen, whatever you've seen in me, whatever you've learned from me, whatever you've experienced out of my life, listen, follow that. I'll be honest, that's a pretty, pretty intimidating thought, isn't it? To think that someone would come to know peace in their life because they've seen the peace of God that passes all understanding in yours. But then I remembered the same Apostle Paul talking to the church in Rome in the letter we call Romans said to people like us as far as it depends upon you Live at peace with everyone. <laughs> and, and, and when I remember that when Jesus had thousands of people gathered on a mountainside and he began to share what we call the Sermon on the Mount, you remember what he said? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will see God. And so this morning, What I what I wanted to do was to to ask you two questions. Is there peace in your life? If not, you can find it by connecting with Jesus. And if you've never asked Jesus into your life, really, the words are simple, but the action is profound. The words are simply these. Jesus, I've been living in rebellion against God and I repent, I'm sorry, and you promised that if anyone would come to you, you would never throw them away, and so here I am, please don't throw me away, please forgive me. My friend, if that's who you are, whether you're on campus or online, you've gotta know something, Jesus will do that every time. There is nothing you can do to keep Jesus from redeeming you and and saving your life and giving you peace. The only thing you can do to keep him from doing that is to refuse to ask. But the second question, the second question I wanted to ask you is this. If you've already asked Jesus to do that in your life, are you willing to be a peacemaker? I don't mean join the Peace Corps. I mean be a peacemaker, be a true companion, be one whose name is in the book of life, and you would be willing to let Jesus use you that way. In the history of the church, there's an ancient practice that churches have used for centuries as a way of reminding themselves of who we are in Christ Jesus, and this morning, I've asked that Heather and Becky come and and lead us in a time of worship. But I've also asked Pastor Johnny and Pastor Kayla, Pastor Marianne, to join me here at the front in just a moment. And and as we sing, we're gonna give you an opportunity to participate if you're on campus with us in that ancient practice. It, it, it's an ancient practice of anointing with oil. There's nothing magical in the oil. Nothing even powerful in the oil. The power is in our relationship with Jesus, in our obedience to him, in our willingness to say to him, hey, I'll do what you want me to do. I'll be who you want me to be. So this morning, if you're on campus with us, I'm going to ask you to stand. Would you stand with me? And I want to I explain to you that if you choose to come forward we're all of us are simply going to take a little bit of oil and we're going to put it on our hand and we're just going to anoint your forehead in the sign of the cross in the name of God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit And, and what we're doing is affirming your decision to say hey God my name is in the book of life And I wanna be a peacemaker. I wanna be the person who brings healing. I wanna be the person who helps people find peace because you've given peace to me. This could also be a time where if you've got turmoil in your life, if you've got stuff in your life and there is no peace and you want healing for that brokenness, if you wanna step out and come, we'll be more than happy anoint you in the same way and pray that God will give you that healing in your body or in your relationships or in your mind in your job, wherever it is and for those of you in the online community, Pastor Preston will have some places in the chat room and if you want to ask him to pray with you there's a separate prayer room you can go to there are people who will will pray with you there But in these moments, let's allow the God of peace to make peace in our lives and anoint us to be peacemakers. If you know the song, sing with us. If you want to be a peacemaker, step to the front and we'll anoint you. Pray. with me. Abba, Papa, Heavenly Father, thank you that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to be salvation for us, to be mercy for us, to be justice for us, to be peace for us. Take us from this place into the world, into our relationships, into our families, into our jobs. To be people who bring your peace and your love and your grace and your mercy. For it's in the strong name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. For those of you on campus and online, if um, if you feel led in some way that you wanted to support um, something God puts in your heart to do something financially for the folks who are being impacted by the the the, I want to call it just war uh, that, that's going on. Um, we can do that through Heart for Lebanon and Camille Melki. And so if you want to do that digitally uh, online through the giving app, uh, if you'll do the drop down tab that says disaster relief, we will make sure that every penny that you give us gets to them in a time frame where it will be useful to them. Right now, there's, there, there's some delay that needs to happen in order to make sure everything's used effectively, but we will get that to them at the appropriate time. If you wanna write a check, whether you wanna mail it to the church or drop it in the offering boxes in the back, if on the, on the memo section you just put disaster relief, I just wanna let you know how grateful we are to be a part of a global family that is able to support one another if you'd like to do that and please be in prayer for the situation, be in prayer for Camille and Hoda and their team at heart for Lebanon but also would you please be in prayer for members of this church and their families, grandchildren, children who are potentially being placed in harm's way by the actions that are needing to be taken who are currently serving in the military please pray pray for those families I've already had uh, grandparents and parents talking to me uh, about anxiety, about what will happen with, with their loved one. So please keep them in your prayers. And now may the peace of Christ that gives you peace go with you and let you be peace to those around you. Amen.